0: Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. And faith is the courage to dance to the music today. And I'm going to be speaking under four headings. And if you like to put those up, and then that's the less, then you have to listen to me. Uh, I'm going to read the scriptures in a moment. And I'm going to be picking up four C's. Well, I did teach students to preach, so you'll have to forgive me. Confusion, conviction, confidence, and courage. I'm going to read the scriptures, and I'm reading from the message. Now, the message is a literal translation... It's as near perfect as it can be from the Greek. Uh, it's just as authentic as the NIV. But I just think Eugene has a capacity to unwrap the hidden truth in Scripture that we get so used to because we're used to a particular passage. So I'm reading from a verse or two before the beginning of chapter 5 so that you get the context. And I'm reading through the passage and I'm just seeing you hear. The confusion, the conviction, the confidence, and the courage. And I've got till half past twelve to finish this, he said. (laughs) Or maybe he said half past eleven. You might want to follow in the NIV. If you do, if you just want to listen, that's fine. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though our outward is Outside is so often like things are falling apart, looks like things are falling apart on us inside where God is making new life. Not a day go, goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes, not in the Greek, but it's very accurate, are small potatoes compared to the coming good times the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, They will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tent again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. Shack we're tired of it. We've been even given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer, You won't see us dropping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in, but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks on the path are going to stop us? When the time comes... We'll be plenty plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. But neither exile nor homecoming is the main thing. Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing. And that's what we aim to do, regardless of our conditions. Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God, regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God indeed. Serious, this sermon. Sensitive. And it will touch you because it's God's word, and the subject is very relevant. Confusion. When those people, this is to Corinth, and Corinth was the cesspit of the empire. Ports often are. When people came to faith, they came from the most hideous, moral, confused, psychologically and philosophical backgrounds that you could ever imagine. The way they Greeks thought about the body was so sick and unbalanced. I'll give you two illustrations, quoting Greek philosophers. Epictetus said this, Thou art a poor soul burdened with a corpse. That's you, he said. Not true, that's what he said. Seneca, who was an even more profound thinker, said this, I am a higher being and born for higher things than to be a slave to my body, which I look upon as only a shackle putting upon my freedom. How unbalanced could you be to believe that? But many of these people that came to faith through the ministry of the church in Corinth, and it was a real Cesbit, and if you read Corinthians, either 1st or 2nd or both, you will know that is true. We'll know that it was a dreadful, dreadful situation they came from. Moving on, historically, thinking, perhaps moving a little bit nearer to our own culture, what about the Victorians? They paraded death. If you've ever read Dickens or seen any of the adaptions on DVD, you will know they just paraded death. Now, sex, keep quiet, but death, let's have it all absolutely in the open. And I'm just speaking about confusion at the moment. We'll move on to certainty and conviction in a moment. When I was two years between my two pastorates, I was the lead counselor at a ministry, and I had an SAS major referred to me. It was in a hell of a mess, and I used that word in the quite literal sense of the word, psychologically and emotionally, and I will the conversation was confidential. But one of the things he wanted to talk to me about was a philosophy of death. And he talked, and we talked together as Christians. He'd come to faith later. Talked about the fact that he'd been told that the mission was more important than the man. And I'm not saying the mission isn't important, but do we dispense with men or women? We live in a modern culture that's called postmodernism, it's obsessed with youth and wealth and prosperity. And it cannot and does not face death. And I certainly, when I interrelate with students, when I was teaching a theological college, and certainly with pastors in India, because they face it almost every day, because people die when they're 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, not wait until they're well on in years. So we live in a very confusing society. The one we relate to, the one we live in, is obsessed with youth and prosperity. It's got no absolutes. It's classical post-maternity. And the one issue that you can be absolutely certain, well, someone said it was taxes and death, but it's certainly death. And so I'm going to speak to you about death and resurrection bodies and resurrection and the hope of heaven. Because it's absolutely central. It's the one thing that is absolutely crucial. Now I'm, a, I'm an older man now. But I remember preaching on this when I was in my 20s. Didn't understand emotionally what I was saying then. I certainly do now. So we live in a very confusing situation. But there are convictions. That Christians can have and should have. And this is where security comes from. Remember what we were talking about, we're talking about hope. The ability to be able to understand the music of the future. And faith, the ability to apply it, to live and to dance to the tune. And have the courage to dance to that tune. And the conviction that we have as Christians is Philippians 3, because Jesus is alive again. That's the heart of where I'm going. It's the heart of where Paul was going, where the Holy Spirit was going in this passage. It's because Jesus is alive, I shall see him in the flesh one day, maybe soon. So will you. But it's because he's alive and he lives in his resurrected body in heaven now that I can speak to you like this. And Paul could speak to the church we can face death because of Jesus. we painted dust. I did listen to what Graham said. I liked it. Painted dust. And I've stood at so many deathbeds, some family members, so many in professional ministry, and I've watched Christians die and been there Hundreds of times it feels like. It probably is hundreds of times. And Wesley had it right. If you want an apology for the Christian faith, you go and watch a Christian die. Because a Christian who is vitally in touch with God knows that they're stepping here from earth straight into God's near presence. You have a decaying body. All you youngsters on the front, and some of us golden oldies, we all have decaying bodies. Now, I don't want to be melodramatic, and nor do I want to milk the emotional content of that. But you will never know what you're going to be living for until you've worked out what you're willing to die for. And I have so many friends around the world particularly in Nigeria where I was doing my uh, well I did my doctoral search in the middle of the violence that we've seen explode again on the streets of Paris because of Islamic fundamentalism in its extreme form. They worked that one out and we haven't. I wonder if you've ever thought about your own funeral. I've actually written my own well not eulogy, that's not mine to do (laughs) but I've certainly chosen my music and we talked about it we did this many many decades ago can I commend to you it's not macabre you don't know how soon you will die any more than I it may happen very suddenly you may be given a little indication but you will die and that is prophetic and you know that So we have a conviction that we can face death. Most of you know that my son tragically lost his first wife with cancer. (coughs) Very shortly after they were married, she was given three months to live with thymic carcinoma. It happened ironically, and please forgive the personal illustration, but it makes the point I want as clearly as I can. She was given three months to live, and she battled for the sake of her two boys for uh, virtually three years. And it happened to coincide. I was both father-in-law, although I was almost like a dad to her, because she had complex relationships with her father. Uh, But I was also writing my master's thesis on healing, in the irony of watching my daughter-in-law progressively die. And lose the battle against cancer. As a very young woman. Uh, we were exceedingly close. And we prayed for her on many occasions. For the Holy Spirit minister to her. But in a sense we had sense very early on. That God would take her home. Because the only ultimate healing. And believe me I passionately committed to healing. And I have seen people miraculously touched. But the only ultimate healing is the near presence of Jesus. Right? Any other healing that takes place is merely temporally. And we need to be open to that. But we had sense that Claire would <coughs> ultimately, like all of us, find her full healing, as she did in the presence of Jesus. Probably in the first, about the last six months before she died, she said, can, can I have a chat with you, Dad? Uh... And when people say that to you, you never quite know what's coming. She said, first of all, she said, I sense that I'm going to die. She said, will you do something for me? I said, Claire, whatever. She said, when I die, will you go and scatter my ashes from the top of Adam and Eve and Triffon? She was a mountain climber like me. I've lost track of how many times I've been over Triffon. I said, yes. She said, secondly, will you take me through a Bible study on resurrection bodies? Oh, Claire. <laughs> I said, well, look at the Scriptures together. Now, look, we read the Scriptures. You heard. You and I are going to have a resurrection body. Okay? When I do this with theological students, it takes three full lectures. So, uh, and time has moved along. So I can't do it. So here's your homework. Whether you do it or not, and you can put your contributions on the table next week and I'll mark them again. No, I won't. (laughs) Whether you do this homework is entirely up to you. But I commend this to you seriously. Turn Coronation Street off, or whatever the reality thing is that you're into, and get your scriptures out and go into the scriptures. There's at least 60 or 70 references in scripture, to resurrection bodies. If you want a starter, go into 1 Corinthians 15. And then look at Philippians 3. And then look at several chapters in Revelation. And although we have this conviction and this promise of resurrection body, and by the way, Paul was writing this and he was probably in a fairly healthy situation. It wasn't that he was limp and pathetic physically and wanting to have a new body. He was a fairly vibrant physical animal. But he knew that the reality was that one day, one day, and it was through martyrdom for him, but probably not for you and probably not for me, but one day you'll have a resurrection body. It will be, but that's your homework, isn't it? I could tell you, but you go and look. Look. The actual pictures about the resurrection body, actually, of course, you can start thinking about what Jesus' resurrection body was like. But uh, that's your homework confusion, conviction, confidence. Am I just whistling in the dark here at the front? I'm supposed to be a little learned. Am I just whistling in the dark? Or is there any basis to understand that what I'm actually talking about is reality? Well, there is confidence. We can be confident. Because hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. One day this body, which does let me down now, uh, will be dust. I don't know how affected the uh, the painting has been, but it will be dust. But there is hope, biblical hope, faith, love, hope. And the faith flows from the hope that we have, and the hope is grounded in the giving of the Holy Spirit. It says here in verse, where am I? Someone help me out. We're in verse... uh, uh, Oh yes, verse 5. Now, I'm reading from the NIV now. Now, it is God who has made us for this very purpose. That's resurrection bodies, if you read the context. And he has given us the spirit as a deposit. Twice in the New Testament, the word Arabon occurs. It's a Greek word that is used a lot in Greek literature, but it's only twice in the Scriptures, to my knowledge, though you can correct me. I believe that's correct. And if you want to know where the certainty for what I'm saying is, that I'm not just whistling in the dark, the certainty comes from the fact that God's given to each one of us, if we're His, the Holy Spirit. And if you're listening carefully, the Holy Spirit who lives within you will have been whispering that I'm actually speaking the truth this morning. I'm quite capable of standing and defending things intellectually, but the Holy Spirit will whisper that what He's begun in your inner life will bring to completion on the day of Christ, whether that is through death or whether that is when He returns. And we pray, Maranatha, I think Rachel and I watched what we saw in Paris and just looked at each other and said, how long, Lord? Now, I'm something of an expert on Islamic fundamentalism because that was what I did my doctoral research in. And I understand the hate and the rage that drives Muslims to that extreme violence. Intellectually. But one day, one day, there is coming a final resolution to this when Jesus returns. Resurrection bodies is the theme here. Can I just say, this is me being a theologian, I find so often with Christians that it's Jesus, me and heaven. And that's about as far as they've got with their eschatology. Eschatology is the doctrine of the last things. And of course it is Jesus, new, and heaven but there's all this theme of resurrection bodies. There's also the theme in Revelation, which is sadly, sadly neglected today by preachers, which is the recreation or the reformation of new heavens and a new earth. It's very clear in Scripture. It actually impinges on how we relate to ecology, how we relate to this present creation. can't just treat it as resource and degrade it and not think about it. Sorry, bit of a hobby horse, but it's theologically accurate what I'm saying, not because I'm saying it, but because it's true. Those are the convictions. Confidence. This confidence comes from the Holy Spirit within us and I need to remind you that I'm in the process of preparing some notes for India or just beginning. When I say I am, I mean Rachel's typing them up for me. Um... Scripture's very clear. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. one, you don't deserve that. Not one of you. And I certainly don't. But the Holy Spirit's come to live within you. My principal at the theological college I did my initial training at had a wonderful little blonde-haired beautiful daughter who always asked silly, totally impossible theological questions. And I remember sitting in a seminar where she was sitting in, because she was quite young, and at the end she said, Daddy, if Jesus is in my heart, how can he be in your heart as well? Which is a good question. And the answer, of course, is that he indwells us by the power of his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. And we're told not to quench the spirit? You've never done that, have you? I bet you are. I wish I hadn't. We were hearing about that. Steve, I don't think Steve's here today. I can't see him. So it was a lovely word. He'd been in the little group we were in and he'd had that sensing and he shared it. It was totally appropriate. Don't quench the spirit when you feel it. You'll probably make lots of mistakes. Welcome to the human race. Don't quench the spirit. Don't grieve the spirit. I wish I could say that I've never done that. I have. I've known what God wanted me to do and I've done exactly the opposite and I knew what I was doing and I paid a price for it. It's a long, long time ago, thank God, and I've got forgiveness for that, but don't grieve the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Practice the presence of Jesus. You need to be baptized in the Spirit. You need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. So this Spirit that's been given to you as a deposit is meant to be lived with, to be lived in, to be lived through, and to allow him to flow in you and indeed through you. That's where our confidence, as we think about death, I wonder when the next death will be, who knows? I lost one of my best friends, Uh, had a rugby accident, got kicked on the head, Taken into hospital, fine, you're okay. Two or three days, on your way, off you went to Spain, walking up the plane onto the coming down off the plane as he landed in Spain, collapsed, absolutely dead, 25. And a friend who was a leading missiologist, colleague of mine, coming back from a conference I'd been at, probably exhausted. Colin was stopped to get outside on the side of the motorway, open the door, into eternity. Passing motor car, uh, passing lorry. You don't know what will happen. But you are in God's hands. My times, remember that prayer I prayed, my times are in his hands. Courage. Interesting that The Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, is the one who will call alongside to strengthen. That's what Paraclete, Paracletos, means. And so we can face the future. You can. I don't know what the future holds for you any more than I know what uh, the future holds for me. We make plans and we see what happens but you can face the future and you can face it with courage because faith is the courage that enables you to dance to the tune today. Today. We don't know the process of how life will go for us. I'd like to live well into my 80s and I'll probably have two mission trips planned in my 80s when I die. I don't know. That's the sort of person I am. I don't know about the future any more than you know about yours. But you can face it with courage because of the deposit, the arabon, the giving of the Holy Spirit who will have your life and my life perfectly in his control. Remember hearing Graham preach on destination. We know about destination, don't we? We don't know about process. Don't know what's going to happen. But we know where we're going. We live by pistis, by faith. You're not living by faith, you're not living under the control and the sovereign action of God. Now I know we're all reasonably capable human beings and we think we've got a degree of control and we have a small measure of control, of course we do. But to the bigger issues of life and the bigger issues of what's happening in your world and mine, frankly you don't have control and neither do I. And you know that if you look in the mirror and you're honest with yourself. So you live by... Well, you either live by fear, which does rack many people. Or you live by faith. And if the Spirit of God is within you, then you can live by faith. Now, I don't know, is it, is it yourself, Sue, who's preaching next week? Right, well, I'll leave the complex one about the beamer seats of Christ for you to pick up. But right at the end of that passage... There's a comment about the fact that one day, resurrection bodies all being said and understood, one day we'll face Jesus face to face on the beamer seat. The beamer seat is the seat of judgment. Now, that's not judgment to be separated from him because when we know his forgiveness and we know his grace and we know his aroma, that deposit of the Spirit, we're accepted, but it's to recognize that we will need to give an account of ourselves. I'm an old old man now, nearly. And the very first Christian concert I went to was to listen to the Bill Gaither trio in Manchester. I think I was at... Was I at university then, doing my degree? And someone said, you must hear the Bill Gaither thing. How many have heard of Bill Gaither? None? Oh, I don't want to. Okay, okay. It's something to do with age. I do know that, but... I can't even claim I know Matt Redmond to put myself a little more in modern culture but they sang an incredible song I I won't sing it to you because you'd all be racing for the door believe me but I don't know a better way to finish than this and it's profoundly true and it sums up as well as those first words did hope is the ability to hear the music of the future faith is the courage to dance to it today you want it put in a different idiom And you can actually get this on YouTube. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because... He lives. Amen.